0: Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home, where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we'll be reading Matthew 24, verses 1-14, to 14, and then through J.C. Ryle's expository thoughts on Matthew. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Matthew, chapter 24, verses 1-14. to 14. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, but he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This is the word of the Lord. These verses begin a full chapter of prophecy, prophecy of which a large portion is unfulfilled, prophecy which ought to be deeply interesting to all true Christians. It is a subject to which the Holy Spirit says, we do well to take heed. Second Peter one nineteen, All portions of Scripture like this ought to be approached with deep humility and earnest prayer for the teaching of the Holy Spirit. On no point have good men so entirely disagreed on as the interpretation of prophecy. On no point have the prejudices of one class, the dogmatism of a second, and the extravagance of a third done so much to rob the church of truths which God intended to be a blessing. Well says Olsason, What does not man see, or fail to see, when he serves to establish his own favoured opinions? To understand the drift of the whole chapter, we must carefully keep in view the question which gave rise to our Lord's discourse. On leaving the temple for the last time, the disciples, with the natural feeling of Jews, had called their Master's attention to the splendid buildings of which it was composed. To their surprise and amazement, he tells them that the whole was about to be destroyed. These words appear to have sunk deeply into the minds of the disciples. They came to him as he sat on the Mount of Olives and asked him with evident anxiety, tell us, when will these things be? What is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? In these words, we see the clue to the subject of the prophecy now before us. It embraces three points. One, the destruction of Jerusalem, another, the second personal advent of Christ, and a third, the end of the world. These three points are undoubtedly in some parts of the chapter so intertwined together that it is difficult to separate and disentangle them. But all these points appear distinctly in the chapter and without them it cannot be fairly explained. The first 14 verses of the prophecy are taken up with general lessons of wide range and application. They seem to apply with equal force to the close of both Jewish and Christian dispensations, the one event being strikingly typical of the other. They certainly demand special notice from us, on whom the latter ends of the world are come. Let us now see what those lessons are. The first general lesson before us is a warning against deception. The very first words of the discourse are, Be careful that no one leads you astray. A more needful warning than this cannot be conceived. Satan knows well the value of prophecy and has ever labored to bring the subject into contempt. How many false Christs and false prophets arose before the destruction of Jerusalem, the works of Josephus abundantly prove? In how many ways the eyes of man are continually blinded in the present day, as to things to come, It might easily be shown. Irvingism and Mormonism have been only too successfully used as arguments for rejecting the whole doctrine of the second advent of Christ. Let us watch and be on our guard. Let no man deceive us as to the leading facts of unfulfilled prophecy by telling us they are impossible, or as to the manner in which they will be brought to pass by telling us it is improbable or contrary to past experience. Let no man deceive us as to the time when unfulfilled prophecies will be accomplished, either by fixing dates on the one hand or bidding us wait for the conversion of the world on the other. On all these points, let the plain meaning of Scripture be our only guide, and not the traditional interpretations of men. Let us not be ashamed to say that we expect a literal fulfillment of unfulfilled prophecy. Let us frankly allow that there are many things we do not understand, But still hold our ground tenaciously, believe much, wait long, and not doubt that all will one day be made clear. Above all, let us remember that the first coming of Messiah to suffer was the most improbable event that could have ever been conceived, and let us not doubt that as he literally came in person to suffer, so he will literally come again in person to reign. The second grand lesson before us is a warning against over-optimistic and extravagant expectations as to things which are to happen before the end comes. It is a warning as deeply important as the preceding one. Happy would it have been for the church if it had not been so much neglected. We are not to expect a reign of universal peace, happiness, and prosperity before the end comes. If we do, we shall be greatly deceived." Our Lord bids us to look for wars, famines, pestilence, and persecution. It is vain to expect peace until the Prince of Peace returns. Then, and not until then, the swords shall be beaten into plowshares, and nations learn war no more. Then, and not until then, the earth shall bring forth her increase. Isaiah two four and Psalm 68 verse 6. We are not to expect a time of universal purity of doctrine and practice in the church of Christ before the end comes. If we do, we shall be greatly mistaken. Our Lord bids us look for the rising of false prophets and abounding of iniquity and the waxing cold of the love of many. The truth will never be received by all professing Christians, and holiness be the rule among men until the great head of the church returns and Satan is bound. Then, and not until then, there will be a glorious church without spot or blemish. Ephesians 5.27 We are not to expect that all the world will be converted before the end comes. If we do, we shall be greatly mistaken. The gospel is to be preached in all the world for a witness unto the nations. But we must not think that we shall see it universally believed. It will take out a people Wherever it is faithfully preached as witnesses to Christ, but the full gathering of the nation shall never take place until Christ comes. Then, and not until then, shall the earth be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, Acts 15 verse 4 and Habakkuk 2 verse 14. Let us lay these things to heart and remember them well. They are eminently truths for the present times. Let us learn to be moderate in our expectations from any existing machinery of the Church of Christ, and we will be spared much disappointment. Let us make haste to spread the gospel in the world, for the time is short, not long. The night comes when no man can work. Troubled times are ahead. Heresies and persecutions may soon weaken and distract the Church. A fierce war of principles may soon convulse the nations. The doors, now open to do good, may soon be shut forever. Our eyes may yet see the sun of Christianity go down like the sun of Judaism, in clouds and storms. Above all, let us long for our Lord's return, oh, for a heart to pray daily, come, Lord Jesus, come. That is the end of Ryle's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today. May the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for His glory.